Boris Johnson resigned as the Prime Minister of Great Britain. He'll stay on until they get somebody new, but he's done, so that little era is over. All I hope is that whoever becomes Prime Minister is as committed or more to defending Ukraine against the Russian onslaught. At the very beginning of the war, we started talking to Felix Light when he was still in Moscow reporting on it. He has since left there and is now in London. CBS Radio News' Felix Light joins us now on the Armstrong Getty Show. Hey, Felix. Hey, how's it going? How long were you in Moscow? When did you leave and why did you leave? Uh, well, I was in Moscow for about uh, a little under five years, I think, in total. And I left a week into the war. You know, So that's about something like a third or the fourth of March this year. So a good sort of, uh, well, four months ago now, a little bit more. Uh, you know, and, and just sort of it had become very clear, I think, sort of back then that, you know, uh, the situation was looking you know, pretty negative. Uh, you know, we were, there was sort of um, not just sort of the Russian side bringing in laws against, you know, essentially kind of criminalizing anyone actually like reporting the war accurately. Uh, but also, you know, you had sort of, uh, you know, the Western sanctions would have meant that essentially I didn't have any money. You know, my bank cards were going to be cut off my, my credit mm. cards. So, you know, it was, it was a very difficult time. Uh, you know, a lot of people, I think, made a lot of snap decisions back then. So that first week of the war. Yeah, I actually remember we were talking to you about that, and that made a lot of sense. Do you feel like the sanctions haven't hurt Russia as much as we were all hoping? Do you know what? I think it like, depends. You know, the, the Russian economy is uh, a bit of a joke, kind of in objective terms, but it's run by some very smart people who, you know, know what to do in sort of, you know, policy terms, you know, in this kind of crisis. But, you know, that being said, I think there are a lot of places where, you know, the, the, the ordinary Russian really is hurting. You know, if you look at sort of uh, a lot of these, you know, like a lot of towns, sort of Soviet-style industrial towns, you know, sort of like Detroit-style places, you know, big car manufacturing centers, these places are almost shutting down. You know, the supply chains are just completely busted with sanctions. So I think, you know, if you get a little bit, out, a bit outside Moscow, and maybe, uh, you know, get under the hood and sort of get away from the top-line figures of the economy, I think a lot of people in Russia are suffering right now. You know, if you look at all sales in Russia, it's down something like 87% on last year. Crazy statistics. Wow. Yeah, I know, it's mad. And then, you know, this is sort of, you know, this is this is not something you'll see in sort of, you know, like deficit figures or, you know, inflation or unemployment, but it is, it, it's a really good indicator of sort of how actual Russians are feeling. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I feel bad for the average Russian who probably, if they knew yeah. it was actually happening, wouldn't Absolutely. support this war in any way, but I hope the pain gets bad enough that you know, it puts some pressure on Putin to want to uh, go a different direction. Absolutely, absolutely. So I know you're reporting on this uh, Griner woman. She is a WNBA star who was grabbed in Russia because she allegedly had drugs in her bag. She has now pled guilty. I'm guessing that's something our government suggested. She talked to Joe Biden yesterday. What's the latest on that story? Yeah, so, you know, this was uh, about day three of the Griner trial. She did plead guilty. And you you think that this is because, basically, I think the hopes of the U.S. government and probably the hopes of Griner herself are basically on some kind of prisoner exchange. You know, even in the last few months, you know, during this war, we've had a few uh, quite surprising moments where actually, you know, some pretty, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember Trevor Reed, the U.S. Marine who was jailed in Russia. He was uh, released a couple of months ago in a prisoner exchange for a Russian uh, jailed in the U.S. You know, there is a little bit of this ongoing, but I think kind of, you know, in a Russian court where, you know, the the outcomes 
if you know, don't mind me saying, you know, pretty, pretty sort of uh, effectively determined in advance. Sure. I think you know a, a guilty plea was kind of necessary almost to get that sort of standing with the uh, the Russian government to try and uh, you know. Uh, get in there with a prisoner exchange, really. You know, that's certainly what I think the Russian deputy foreign minister who was discussing the case yesterday pretty heavily alluded to, you know, that uh, almost that the U.S. government needed to stop talking about it and they'd, they'd uh, you know, they'd, they'd, do, they'd do a prisoner exchange when it suited them, I think, was the message. Yeah, well, it was interesting for me to find out that we have a number of American citizens being held in Russia against their will and and some of them have been there for years and some of their family members are wondering hey my my husband or whoever who's being held in russia is not a wnba star and the president hasn't called us and nobody's like bending over backwards to try to get you know uh, my family member out of there that that's a bit of a troubling situation well, yeah, you know, the other one is uh, another uh, another former Marine, I think, a guy called Paul Whelan, who I think Joe Biden has been sort of intervening with for, for, for some time. And I think Trump before him was also uh, sort of pursuing this case, you know. But, uh, you know, the Russian sort of justice system, the Russian criminal system, it's, it's, it's a very sort of murky world. You only really sort of know what sort of incentives are going on and why they're sort of acting in the way they are, really, when you're inside it. And I think very few people sort of really understand why they would seize this NBA star or this ex-Marine. You know, it's it's a very, very curious uh, world. Talking, talking with Felix Light and uh, CBS News, uh, Radio News and the Moscow Times, and he lived in Moscow for years, and we got to Felix through the whole war in Ukraine story, but the fact that you're in London, I can't help but ask, just a few hours ago, Boris Johnson resigned. What kind of an earthquake is that as far as a news story there in London? Yeah, it's pretty pretty extraordinary, you know. Uh, you know, we we almost don't really know whether he's really resigned because he sort of said he's going to resign. But to resign as a UK Prime Minister, you actually have to go to see the Queen. Oh, right, of course, you know, of course you do. Queen. Why wouldn't you have to go see a Queen if you want an elected exactly. official to step down? Makes sense to me. Exactly. Uh, but Johnson has not gone to see the Queen, so you know he's holding that final card sort of very close to his chest there. You know, so, uh, <laughs> oh God. Uh, we will see what happens with that. But I think it was it was extraordinary. You know, I don't. You know, the the, the this sort of scandal, the one that really broke him, and you know, there've been so many Boris Johnson scandals. Was um, you know, it sort of flared up last week. You know, related to sort of covering up for a an MP who'd been involved in sexual harassment. It was extraordinary that it was actually someone else's scandal that in the end broke him and not an actual Johnson scandal because there have been so many and he's such a sort of, uh, you know, colourful character and very prone to scandal that it was almost seems bizarre that, you know, it was someone else's wrongdoing that got him in the end. Yeah, well, I think it was just a, you know, he was warned by his own people, look, not this guy, and he went ahead and appointed him anyway. It's just like, all right, you don't even care, exactly. do you? You just don't care. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty pretty special. And then he, uh, I think, about fifty ministers, that sort of you know, government officials, ended up resigning over the last two days. You know, in an attempt to get him out. Um, you know, he appointed a new finance minister, who then said, actually, you know, thank you for appointing me, but you should actually resign. <laughs> so it was an extraordinary. It was an absolutely extraordinary couple of days in the UK, to be honest. Well, bringing it back to your expertise, my only question around who who's prime minister right now is because I don't follow British politics that well. Is I want it to be somebody who really, really is supporting the people of Ukraine against Russia. Are both parties uh, at this point supportive, so that no matter who wins, it's likely Ukraine will still get support from Great Britain. 
Yeah, definitely. You know, I think support for Ukraine is very much a kind of a consensus position in the UK. You know, there's no one serious who sort of says that we shouldn't be doing it. And I think that also, to be quite honest, towards the end of Johnson's time in office, it was really sort of, you know, that was almost the only thing he was popular for, right? You know, mm-hmm. people sort of very much approved of that. And they sort of, they, they thought he was awful on everything else. So I think there's no danger that UK policy will sort of change on Ukraine. Although I do think probably Zelensky in Kiev would have preferred for uh, Johnson to stay just because, you know, I think what Johnson showed he was able to do with Ukraine was sort of make promises, but also keep them. You know, the UK was doing very well in terms of delivering what it was saying it was going to deliver. And I think there is a worry, uh, you know, maybe amongst some Zelensky allies that, you know, if not, the UK won't abandon Ukraine, but it might sort of uh, it might sort of sink down to, you know, below priority, if you like. Yeah, the UK actually delivering on what they promised as opposed to, for instance, Germany and France, which is a completely different story. Yeah, well, quite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, man, if I may ask before we let you go, how old are you, Felix? I'm 28. 28. You are really good. I would talk to you anytime. You are... There, there. Oh. I, I don't have a lot take of calls any time. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, there are a lot of young journalists out there who. Uh, well, I, I won't say anymore. But you are really, really good, and appreciate you coming on today. I appreciate that. Thank you, you, you so much. Have a good day now, Felix Light, reporter in London. Now he was in Moscow for five years, so he's twenty-eight. He left Moscow, so he was. He went to Moscow when he was twenty-three. Lived there for five years, became an expert in that, and you, you just heard him now. I, I love the journalists. Because a lot of them aren't this way anymore. I love the journalists who just, like, are really, really interested in what they're doing. You can tell that they, like, for their own enjoyment, are searching out the the background on all these different stories. So if you get up off on a different topic like we just did, he's got something to say about it. Um, we talk to journalists all the time that they clearly have read like the first paragraph of some story and they're not really into it and it drives me nuts. And part of it's because they get paid so little in the modern world because of the internet and the way that everything has changed. But there's a guy who's really, really good. It's not like I'm his agent or something, but appreciate having him on. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 